Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus does not just want fans, but he wants followers. Um, people that are not in the stands cheering on the game, but individuals that have made up their minds that they will get in the game to help win the game. A couple of weeks ago, we had the finals of the NBA, and, and we looked at, uh, um, what's the rapper name? Drake sitting on the sideline, and he cheering, and after the game, he said, we won. But last time I checked, cheering from the sideline don't win games. It is the people that get involved in the game, that get on the court, that make it happen. And what I'm noticing about the body of Christ is the body of Christ wants great church but don't want to get in the game. They, they want a great ministry, but they don't want to roll up their sleeves. They don't want to sweat. They don't want to put any sweat equity in to make what the Lord wants to do happen. And God is no longer, uh, he does not want just fans, but he needs followers because being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you must be a disciple let the church say disciple what is a disciple watch this the word disciple means learner or to learn the word disciple means learner or to learn a disciple is a learner you could be a disciple of anyone yeah you could be a disciple of anyone you watch enough um uh Beyonce videos, you would know how to be a disciple of hers by doing all her steps because you have learned how she do does what she does and what do you do? You emulate that, right? You can be a disciple of anyone, but to be a disciple of Jesus is to allow Jesus, watch this, to teach you. Teach you a new way. Teach you how to live a new life. Teach you how to turn down sin. Somebody need to say, help me, Jesus teach you a new way of thinking that when you become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ it means that he has the free reign to teach you into all truth go to Matthew the 11th chapter verse number 28 Matthew the 11th chapter verse number 28 Matthew 11 verse number 28 I want to say thank you for those uh, for last week for our, our ninth anniversary thank you for those that blessed my life and blessed this church I wanted to say I appreciate each and every one of you the cards anything that you give gave me I want to just appreciate you and say thank you so much I don't want to forget that Matthew the 11th chapter verse number 28 Matthew 11 verse number 28 if you have it say amen if you don't have it say wait on me amen all right Matthew 11 28 you scared Matthew 11 28 come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest right Go to Matthew 16th chapter, verse number 24. Matthew 16, verse number 24. Matthew 11 says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew 16, verse number 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and what follow me Jesus says watch this come to me but after you come to me now follow me you didn't know it was a two-step process see he wants you to come to him as Savior and Lord. He wants to save your life. He wants to save your spirit. He wants to save you and have fellowship and with you but beyond salvation he is now after discipleship he says, yes, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But after you come to me, there's a second step you got to do now. Now you got to follow me. Because a disciple is someone who learns from his teacher to ultimately become like his teacher. Your job and my job is to learn to become Christ-like. I got to be Christ-like on my job. I said I got to be Christ-like on my job. I said I got to be Christ-like on my job. I got to be Christ-like in how I respond to people. I got to be Christ-like in my face. I said in my face. I said in my face. I got to be Christ-like in the inflection in my voice. I got to be Christ-like in my attitude and in, in my actions. I got to be Christ-like. I got to be Christ-like. I got to be Christ-like. I said I got to be Christ-like. I got to even be Christ-like in the church. I said in the church. I got to be Christ-like. And the, the, the point of discipleship is to become like Christ. And my question to you and to me today, watch this, is 
Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to learn? Because let's have real talk. As I survey the church, I see that there are a lot of people trying to teach what they do not know. Touch your neighbor. Say, neighbor, it's about to be a bumpy ride. I, I see people that are trying to teach how to be gifted but have not learned how to be faithful themselves. I, have, I see people trying to teach how to lay hands but have not learned how to live a godly life. I, I, we, we're trying to teach you how to stay positive. There it is. But we have not learned how to deal with the negative uh, through the word and through prayer and through consecration. And a lot of us around here in this church, in the church universally, are trying to teach stuff. We have not learned our own selves. Look at your neighbor and say, before you teach me, mm -hmm, please learn, please learn, please learn. And Jesus is saying, now that you have come to me, now follow me to the place where I can teach you some stuff. So question, freedom, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now that sounds like an easy question. You came to church today, but the reality is, watch this, um, before you answer that question, you need to realize and recognize, watch this, discipleship costs. Okay. Salvation, free. But a growing, developing, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, will cost you something. And the question for every disciple is, are you willing to pay the price to be that close to Jesus? How many of you know sometimes you got to pay a price to be close to certain people? Uh, some of y'all single people need to say, you, you got to pay a price to be next to me. Uh, uh, this don't come with a coupon. Hello. Uh -huh. Is there anybody in here that know what I'm talking about? That there's a standard over my life. And I got to know before I tell you my business, can you be trustworthy? So I got to see, can you pay the price to be a faithful friend before you be anything else? Is there anybody in here that say, there's a price you got to pay to be with Jesus? Some of you have realized, like I have, that, that by now, if I had a thousand lives, I would give them all to Jesus. Because <laughs> being with Jesus is better than being without Jesus. I know some of y'all can make your life without Jesus, but is there anybody in here that say, I can't even get up out the bed without him. I can't go to work without him. I can't stay married without him. I can't raise these children without him. I can't keep my sanity without him. I can't, is there anybody in here that know I can't serve in ministry without him? I need God like a fish need water. I need God like a cake needs sugar. I need God like it's my very next breath. And I can't to find out is there anybody up in freedom on this Sunday morning that say I thank God for the pastor I thank God for the deacons I thank God for the members but I didn't come for all them I came because I need God and I'm desperately in need of him on today somebody lift up your hands and tell the Lord I need you I need you I need you I need before Monday comes I need you today before the next hour comes I need you right now somebody lift your hands and tell the Lord I need you the problem is ladies and gentlemen is that we want a comfortable and convenient faith that does not cost us anything we want blessings without brokenness we want breakthrough without burdens we want prosperity without any problems But following Jesus, I ain't talk, I, I ain't gonna even tell you to touch your neighbor. I'm talking to you. Following Jesus, boo, honey, sugar, sweetie pie. It's gonna cost you something. In fact, some of y'all already know that. Because them tear payments, them sleepless nights was a down payment for the breakthrough that God was getting ready to bring into your life. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But is there anybody in here that say, I know what it's like to pay the price to follow Jesus. Sometimes it takes hurt feelings in order to follow Jesus. But is there anybody in here that say, whatever it's going to cost me, I'm willing to pay that price to be with him. Luke 14, verse number 25 through 27. Luke 14, 25 through 27. I have no other book but the Bible to preach. Luke 14, 25 through 27. Luke 14, 25 through 27. This text is really the foundation of this fully committed series that I'm in on discipleship. So we're going to hang out right here at Luke 14. 
verse number 25 through 27. Um, the Lord gave me four messages in these couple of verses. Luke 25, verse, uh, Luke 14, verse number 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Oh, y'all don't know this Jesus right through here. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Uh, look back at that one more time, because I don't think you, I think your eyes are playing tricks on you. Because you you trying to fight in your mind. That just did not say what I think that just said. Look at verse number 25, uh, 26. If anyone comes, after, comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Hold up, brother pastor. Hold up, Rev. I, I got a question. I, I, I mean... It, Jesus telling us that we got to hate our mama, daddy, sister, brother. I, I, I got to hate my, my husband, my wife. I got to hate my children. I mean, sometimes I understand, but I mean, I got to hate. I got to hate them and even my own life to be your disciple. Look at your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me break this down for you take it out of context. The crowds were following Jesus, and Jesus is literally at the zenith, at the pinnacle, at the top of his ministry and popularity. And while Jesus is riding high, got thousands of people following him, everywhere he go, they cheering. We with Jesus. We with Jesus. He giving us bread and fish and you know, he taking care of us. We with Jesus. He performing miracles. The lady was, you know, the man was blind. He opened a blinded eye. We with Jesus. It just looks wonderful. It's great. It's wonderful. Because I've discovered people don't mind walking with you as long as ministry looks great. <laughs> you know, when it's popular, when it's, when it's the thing, you know, oh, I'm with that. Oh, I'll never leave you. And what does Jesus do? He thins out the crowd. Has God ever asked, has God ever taken you through something where he had to thin out your crowd? <laughs> it's a part of the process. Because God say, I don't need 30,000. I could get it done with 300, Gideon. I don't need a whole lot of people to do what I got to do. So I got to thin out the crowd, watch this, by raising the standard. You want to know if somebody really love you? Raise the standard. Because when you raise the standard, you will discover the crowd gets real thin all of a sudden. Everybody can't fly at certain altitudes because the air is thin. Ooh. That was good right there. I'm going to give myself a biscuit after church for that one. Oh, see, eagles can only fly to certain altitudes, but snakes love to dwell down to the ground. And the question is, can you come up and keep on breathing? leave that alone. Jesus thins out the crowd. And how does he do it? Watch this. He doesn't do it through a sensational miracle to get more followers. He doesn't water down his teaching with user-friendly evangelism. He doesn't take a good selfie with a nice filter in order to get more likes. Jesus said, let me get rid of the filters. Let me get rid of the fanfare. Let me get rid of the stuff that you are hooked to that you think defines who being with me is all about. He turns to them and talks to them about something that seems shocking and almost impossible. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister. Jesus is making it very clear that there is no fine print in the contract to discipleship. He said, I ain't hiding this thing. I'm letting you know what it takes to be with me. God lets you know the requirement on the front end so that you don't have to be surprised of the process on the back end. God help me. Jesus says there is no bait and switch with me. 
I'm letting you know what it takes to be in a relationship with me. He, he says, I'm, I'm being intentional to let you know it ain't going to be easy walking with me. And this is why so many people are falling away from God and from his church. Because we have watered down the gospel in order to gain more followers. So I can tell you five steps to your best life. But you're still a hellion. I can tell you how to be six steps to be blessed. But you ain't going to pay your tithes. And so when the standard gets raised, people get missing. Because I, I didn't sign up for all that. Ooh, I would say something right there, but the children in here, so I'm going to mark my words. Watch this. Because when you raise the standard, they get missing. So we tell you how to be blessed, but we don't tell you how to stay faithful. But I need somebody here to say, thank God for discipleship. <laughs> you know why I thank God for discipleship? Because when I am inconsistent, discipleship brings my life into consistency. When I am unfaithful, the process brings me into faithfulness. When I am disobedient and want to do my own thing, the process of discipleship brings me into willing obedience. I thank God for the process. I need to stop and give God praise because for the process that he has me on made me better and not worse. Is there anybody here that said, I went through hell, but the process I had to go through made me who I am today. I wouldn't know how to get this praise. I wouldn't know how to get this worship if I didn't have to cry my eyes out and I didn't have sleepless nights. But thanks be unto God for the process he had me under because it made me a whole lot better. I need to know is there anybody in here that can give God glory and give God praise because you've been through the fire and you've been tried in the fire. You've been through the flood but you came forth as pure gold. I'm talking to the people in here that say I thank God for every sleepless night for every tear I had to cry for every friend that walked away for every time I didn't have enough money for every job I lost for every car that was repossessed I thank God for the process he had me under because it made me who I am today look at your neighbor and say you, you don't have a clue who you sit next to if you knew what I had to go through to put this smile on my face, if you knew what I had to go through in order to still push out a praise, if you knew the hell I had to encounter in order for me to keep my sanity, honey, you would break out in a praise for me. But let me go ahead and take this praise all for myself. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. You ain't got to celebrate it. I know where he brought me from. I said, you ain't got to celebrate me. I know where he brought me from. Can you just take about five seconds and give God glory? Because you know for yourself where he brought you from. And even if your neighbor don't know, you know for yourself. He got me out of the muck and the mire. He got me up out of the pit of hell. But how you like me now? I'm still in my right mind. And I'm still giving God the glory. Give your neighbor a high five. Say, thank God for the process. Thank God for the process. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a price that must be paid for discipleship. When you, when you follow Jesus, he's not inviting you to share in his popularity. He's inviting you to share in his unpopularity. Following Jesus will make you unpopular. In this society, following Jesus will make you unpopular. Well, why do you got to do that? Why do you feel that way? Mm. You think you better than everybody? No, I'm just living my life on a different level. It may, he says, share my unpopularity because you don't remember. Watch this. Watch this. I've discovered you don't remember what was cheap. You remember what you paid a price for. Y'all don't like me right there. Is there anybody here that remember the class that whooped you coming and going? But when you came out of that thing, you still remember it to this day. Come on. You can testify that the Lord brought me out of that class. I thought I was going to fail. I struggled the whole entire way. But look, I paid a price. And if I got that C, I paid for that C because I almost had an F. You remember the job that took you through. You remember the, the, the boss that was sent from the pits. You, you remember the season, watch this, the season of suffering you had to endure. You remember it, and when you look back, you value and treasure what you paid a price for. That's why some of y'all need to learn, stop living so cheap. That's why you ain't got a good memory. Because when you live cheap, you don't have a good memory over what you didn't pay a good price for. Ooh, but when you pay the price for it, oh God, you remember it to this day. Because watch this, because when you look back and you realize what you had to pay for it, you walk away with one sentiment, it was worth it.
Oh, is there anybody here that can look at the hell you had to go through and say, even though I went through the hell, it was still all worth it. I feel a praise working upon me right there. Is there anybody here that say, I thank God for what I had to endure because at the end of the day, it was all worth it. Somebody lift your hands and say, it was all worth it. There is no cheap discipleship, ladies and gentlemen. There's no cheap discipleship. It costs to serve Jesus, but it's worth it. Some people, here's what I've discovered. Here's what I've discovered. In 2019, with the church, quote, unquote, on the decline, with people falling away from God, here's what I've discovered. Some people, no matter how good he is, no matter how much revelation, no matter how much God proves himself, some people just ain't going to follow Jesus. There are some, watch this, who will... Uh, give up following Jesus before they give up a relationship. I'm in the house. Um, they will give up following Jesus before they give up that relationship. There's some people who will give up following Jesus quicker than they'll give up that car. There's some people that think coming to church is a sacrifice to the Lord. You ain't had nothing else to do. That wasn't a sacrifice. Oh. See, we got it mixed up because following Jesus costs you something. Sometimes Jesus comes along and say, hey, you going to follow me? I need you to give up that attitude. Y'all getting real quiet. But what Jesus does is calls us into question by asking us today, what are you willing to give up in order to follow me? You had to give up that relationship. Would you do it for me? You had to give up your need to be in control all the time. Would you give it up for me? You had to give up that high-paying job to take the low-paying job and trust me that I'll take care of you. Would you give it up for me? You're getting quiet right over here. Um, over the next four weeks, I will deal with the cost of discipleship to be fully committed to Christ. But on today... I just want to deal with one pillar. Um, write this down. Disciples must worship at any cost. Disciples must worship at any cost. Disciples must worship at any cost. Luke 14, verse number 26 and 27. Are you still there? Luke 14, 26 and 27, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own lives, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? Um, disciples must worship at any cost. He, here's what um, you need to write this down for me, please. What is Jesus saying? Jesus Christ must come before personal relationships. Jesus Christ must come before personal relationships. He tells them, you got to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, your children, um, your, your, your best friend, your boo thing. He tells you, if you don't hate them, you can't be my disciple. Now, what does that mean? Jesus is not breaking the command not to love, uh, to love your father and mother. He's not telling you to break that command. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is telling us, he's not telling us to hate our children. In fact, if you love Jesus, watch this. If you love Jesus, you will love your wife more. In fact, if you love Jesus, you will love your children more. Because sometimes that husband, that wife, that child, that brother, that sister, that mother, that father will do something that takes the love of God to supersede how you feel about what they just did. So I know that you really love God when you are able to love the unlovable. The word hate here is used in the sense of, watch this, comparison. Comparison. Let the church say comparison. The Greek word for hate means to love less by comparison. It, it, Jesus is calling us to have a love for him that is so all-inclusive, so fervent, and so absolute that all our earthly affections cannot come close to it. I like you. I love you. But I'm lost without him. 
help me. Without him, I'm a ship without a sail. I am completely and totally lost without him. Here's the good news. If you leave, I'll keep on living. But if he leaves, I'm dead on arrival. It's in comparison. That's why, to take, that's why the, the psalmist says, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living because I'm lost without him. I need somebody to say this out your mouth. I'm totally lost without Jesus. Come on, say that again. I'm totally lost without Jesus. See, I, I desperately need him in my life. He's not an option. He's the only way. He's not, a, 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 he's not something that can compare with anything and anybody else. I have to have him as my foundation, as a substratum of my faith. I have to have him. And if everything else pass away, still give me Jesus. Jesus says, you must hate your father and mother. What is Jesus saying? Go to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew 6, verse number 24. This word hate comes up in this, in this scripture. Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, verse number 24. You have it, say amen. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate, there's that word, the one, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Uh, wasn't part of my point, but I'm going to throw it in. You cannot serve both God and money. See, this hate that he's using in our original text and in this text means that our allegiance and love for him must be so great that by comparison, our love for our family, our friends, and even our own lives looks like hatred. I know that's real heavy. This is real heavy. This is real heavy. Because you're in a society now that tells you to love yourself above any and everything. So now you are in a pursuit of outdoing the love you didn't get as a child. Thank you, Tanya. I will. Now you are in the pursuit of trying to outdo the love that you didn't get as a child. So what you do now is you search for things to fill in the gaps. <sighs> because at the end of the day, you should be happy. I deserve to be happy. I want to be happy. And I've searched all 66 books of this word and ain't nowhere in there where it say God want to make you happy. It did say he wants to make you holy. <laughs> I know you don't like me today. It's okay. It's all right. He says, I want you to be holy because I am holy. And so even if you ain't happy, if you're holy, you're still pleasing me. God help me. And is there anybody that ever lived through a season or had to turn down sin to the place that even it didn't make me happy, but as long as I was holy, God blessed my holiness and not my happiness. God, is there anybody in here that say sometimes I had to say no to what I really wanted to say yes to, but when I was living holy, God was pleased with my life and he smiled on my life. And thanks be unto God that even if I go through seasons of not being happy, as long as I'm holy, God is pleased with me. So let me help you married people. Let me help you, those that want to be married. <laughs> you ain't going to marry somebody that's going to make you happy all the time. <laughs> 30, 34, 35 years in the game, 30, 39 years in the game. And there are seasons in marriage where your partner ain't going to make you happy. If you are trying to be married, to be happy, stay single. Because let me, let, me, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Because if you are trying to be happy based upon what somebody else does, and you ain't got it for yourself, when you get with them and they no longer make you happy, then now you're miserable. And I'd rather be miserable by myself than to be miserable with somebody that I can't stand. Is there anybody in here? I need some single people right there that say, let me be happy by myself so that when I enter into whatever God got for me, I ain't got to work up nothing for somebody to make me happy.
I'm happy in Jesus. So when you don't put a smile on my face, good morning. All right, let me, let me keep going. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. Watch this. It means, watch this. This hatred is not an intense dislike toward my family. That's not what he's saying. It means that when there is a war within myself that demands a choice between Jesus and everyone else, I don't abandon my love for Jesus because of my divided affections. So, so, so I don't have to make a choice between you and my God. God's going to win every time. I got to dig this out, Amber, because this church is infamous. I know I got visitors. Thank God for the visitors. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to be real pastory right now because this church is infamous that when we get in relationships, we forget Jesus. And Jesus saying, I'm tired of being your side piece. Y'all don't, don't, don't like this right through here. See, I shouldn't get with somebody in my worship stops. I shouldn't get with somebody. And all of a sudden, I, got, I ain't got no prayer life no more. Because watch this. I know I ain't got no prayer life no more because all my prayers is on you. I don't like the tone of voice you're looking at me in. Am I telling the truth? Okay, I know, I know. It's treading heavy. I get it. Let me get out of it. They're going to be mad. Amen. They ain't going to give today. Let me, let me get out of it. Watch this. It means that when there's a war within myself that demands a choice between Jesus and everyone else, I don't abandon my love for Jesus because of my divided affections. My love for Jesus will always win. If I have to choose between the church and my God, God is going to win. Do you, do you see that? No, I need y'all to hear me. I need y'all to hear me. Because sometimes there are things that rise up in our lives that create divided affections. And it's scary for some of us because I don't know if God is always going to win. And the question for you today is, um, is, is God going to win if there's a choice that has to be made? Let me preface this by saying, I ain't talking to married folk right now. Between you and your spouse. What God has put together. Okay, all right. So if you're taking this as, oh, this might get out of this relationship. No. No. When you stood before the preacher and said, I do, that was God. Okay. Just want to make sure I, I preface that because y'all like to take stuff that I say and put it out of context. Say married. Watch this. It means that we don't bow to the pressure of the choice, but we keep Jesus in his rightful place in our hearts. Because if we bow to the pressure, it means that Jesus is not worthy of being followed above everyone else. We do not love Christ because, watch this, uh, I choose everybody else instead of choosing Jesus. And what that means is that now I'm putting a sinful human being who did not give themselves for our sins in a higher place than the spotless Lamb of God who freely offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. That, that person now becomes greater than your God. That job now becomes greater than your God. That position becomes greater than your God. See, I worship Jesus because he did for me what nobody else could do. God, help me. I worship Jesus because he became my substitutionary atonement and he took my place on that cross. So when I worship Jesus, it's because he is my priority. When I worship Jesus, it's because he has more of a significance than anybody else in my life. My worship says that he comes before anyone else. And is there anybody in here that could just go ahead and make a demonstration and tell your neighbor, I like you, I love you, but Jesus got to be first. I need somebody here to give God worship and give God praise if he is number one in your life, if he is a priority in your life. He is using the word here to mean choice. He is using the word here to mean choice. Let the church say choice. It means that we must make a choice that Christ must come before any other personal relationship in our life. Question. Do the current relationship you're in, uh, do the current relationship in your lives, current relationships in your life, know that Jesus is your number one and they are your number two? Do, do they know that God comes first? 
have your interactions with them proven that Jesus will always be your number one in your life? In fact, same for everybody. You need to tell them, you better be thankful that you're my number two. Because when Jesus is my number one, he shows me how to love you when you don't seem so lovable. You better be glad that you're my number two and he's my number one. Because watch this, because if I mistreat you as my number two, my number one will come and check me about it, convict me about it, and teach me how to treat you better. Look at your neighbor and say, you better be glad you're my number two. Uh, in fact, watch this, you don't even need to argue with me about what I did. All you got to do is bend your knee and go talk to number one. And when you talk to number one, he'll come and jack me up. Is there anybody in here? I say, you better be glad that he's my number one and you're my number two. Because when I mistreat you, number one will come and talk to me about it. What am I saying? What am I saying? You don't always have to, watch this, argue. You ain't always got to clap back. Go talk to your number one. You ain't always got to say something back. Talk to your number one. I'm trying to help somebody in here that want to be married. I'm trying to talk to a wife in here. You ain't got to fuss and argue. Go to your number one. Because your number one can fix it a whole lot better than you can. What if you spent more time in prayer than complaining? God help me. What if you spent more time on your knees calling out to God instead of cussing and fussing with everybody that's in front of you? Because I've discovered he reigns on the just and the unjust. And so while he, while I'm talking to him, he'll be dealing with you. That's why you ain't got to conspire about nobody on your job. Bend your knee and get before God. And God will, God, God will fix it so good. I need a, somebody to testify right here. God will fix it so good that he'll transfer the person that was getting on your nerves just so that you can have a little peace. Is there anybody in here that say, I thank God for my number one because my number one takes care of me. Is there anybody in here that can give God a little bit of praise for your number one? Okay. Jesus is teaching us that in order to become a true disciple, we must, watch this, realign our personal relationships. That we are to love him, uh, we are to love them less than we love him. Why? Catch this. This is a little deep, so I need you to go with me. Why? Why is he saying this? Why is he saying, hate your mother, father? Why are we to love them less? Mother, father, wife, children, brother, sister. Because insequential, inconsequential things don't realign your heart. Stay with me. If he would have said, if anyone hates mosquitoes, hurricanes, and child abuse cannot be my disciple. You ain't got no problem with none of those. Because you ain't got, listen, you hate mosquitoes. You don't want no hurricane coming. And you loathe child abuse. Watch this. The hatred of such things come naturally to most people. All of us, watch this, love Jesus more than mosquitoes. But not all of us love Jesus more than our boo. if God says you got to hate the consequential things in your life in order to follow me? What if I have to matter more than that? Because here's what I was going when you fail completely and totally in love with Jesus, uh, I, I'm just going to have a conversation with a couple of y'all right here. When you have fallen completely and totally in love with Jesus, he is on your mind in the late night hour. He is on your mind when tears are streaming down your face. He is on your mind while you drive down the street. Uh, Jesus, when you love him like that, you can't wash him off. God help me. I can't let go of him because he is my everything. And when you fall in love, see my prayer for this church is that you fall so love in, in love with Jesus that he becomes your number one and everything else becomes your number two. Is there anybody in here that say, when I first got into God, there were other things that still stood up that I thought was more important than God. But after I've been in the game 
a little bit longer, honey, I can't wash them out my mind. I think about them in the midnight hour. He said, anybody here that think about Jesus and you get to put a, you put a smile on your face, that when you think about how good he's been to you, all of a sudden they put a little pep in your step. Oh, when you think about where he brought you from, you be sitting at your desk and you be like, hey, I thank you for that right there. I need to know, is there anybody in here that has fallen madly in love with God that in spite of what you go through and in spite of what you experience, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. How about you? Is there anybody in here that know that you love God with every fiber of your being? I need those that are fell in love with Jesus to lift your hands, open up your mouth and tell God, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. If I'm on the mountaintop, I love you. If I'm in the valley, I love you. If I'm sick, I love you. If I'm well, if I love you. If I'm broke, I love you. I love Jesus with everything inside of me. I love him. He's my everything. This is why you ain't got to ask me to praise him. This is why you ain't got to beg me to lift my hands. Because I done fell in love with him. Ooh, can I just talk about how much I love him? Sometimes you can love him to the place that he gives you music in your heart and you ain't nothing playing. Sometimes you can love him so well that you look around at where he brought you from. I, okay, let me let me just talk to about five of y'all. Have you ever been in your house and you looked around and you say, good God, you done brought me a mighty long way. I remember when I used to live and I see where you brought me to. And you're in your house and you're like, God, I give you the glory. I, is there anybody ever been in your house before and you looked at all the things that God blessed you with that you know you didn't deserve, but you all of a sudden tears well up in your eyes because you remember where you used to be and how far he brought you from. I need those people that don't mind opening up your mouth and giving God glory and say, God, I thank you that you brought me a mighty long way. I thank you that you love me the unlovable. I thank you that you cared for me when I didn't even care for myself. I thank you that you looked out for me when I got myself in some trouble. I thank you that you opened the door when it was slammed in my face. I thank you. And is there anybody in here that can say, I love you, Jesus, with everything inside of me. Oh, I love him. I love him. I just love him. I love him. I love him. I don't preach because you clap. I preach because I love him. I didn't come to church because that's a good Christian thing to do. I came to church because I just love him. I just love him like that. Touch three people around and say, I just love him. 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 I done fell in love with him. I done fell in love with him. He puts a smile on my face. He puts a, a pep in my step. I walk around and I got a smile on my face. And people are like, what's wrong with you, honey? I just done fell in love with the greatest lover. I got somebody that put a smile on my face. I got somebody that takes good care of me. I got somebody that looks out for me. I got somebody that when I'm all by myself, he comes in my room, throws his arm around me, and let me know that everything gonna be all right. I done fell in love with Jesus. I thank him. Watch this. So are you going to be a disciple? Because if you're gonna be a disciple, he must be number one in your life. So Jesus comes before personal relationship. Here's number two. Jesus comes before personal reputation. Jesus comes, he must come before personal reputation. Mm. Your personal reputation. Jesus says, you are not even to love you more than you love me. Jesus is saying that you have to take yourself off the throne of your heart and enthrone Jesus Christ. See, this is a consuming, passionate, intense, and joyous love of Christ that is so strong that we are willing to put ourselves lower on the priority list of our lives. Mm. Jesus comes before my personal reputation. It means I'm so enraptured by the love of Jesus that my love never grows cold. I never get bored with him. I never get tired of him. You ever been in a relationship where you just like, All the single people lift your hand. All the single people lift your hand. All the single people. Okay. Um, you ever, you, you, you ever, you know, um, what you doing? Nothing. Well, what you got planned? I ain't really had nothing. You ever just got bored? Just got tired? 
Um, you know what amazes me in this day and time? Off script. What amazes me in this day and time is that we get bored and grow cold of Jesus, but can take hell from somebody that ain't even supposed to be in our life. That amazes me. You look at some people and you be like, you, let that go. That ain't for you. I love you. What you really want to say is you don't want to give up the investment of the time that you put in. Because you gave, watch this, your all to that. Why you ain't coming to church? Well, I'm just, you know, I'm not just feeling it right now. The one who opens the door for you, the one that gave you grace, the one that, that, one that made the way for you, you tired of that, but you ain't tired of that. Touch your neighbor and say, get your mind right, get your mind right, get your mind right. See, when you're enraptured by Jesus, your love never grows cold. I never get bored by him, and I never get tired of him. And the greater he becomes in my life, the less important I become in my own eyes. See, this is difficult. I talk about this on Wednesday night. This is difficult when you have built your life, watch this, on self-will, self-fulfillment, self-sufficiency, self-satisfaction, and self-righteousness. That's where it becomes difficult. When I live my life trying to be the answer to my own prayer, I edge God out and, and self becomes my idol. So what I end up doing is trying to take things on that make me feel better about myself. Selah. I start to live my life, listen to this, sensually and not spiritually. So if it makes me feel better, I do it. I don't know why I ate all that ice cream. But it made me feel better. Watch this. If it makes me look good, I do it. So I get a car I can't afford to impress people I don't like. I got rest this week. <laughs> but Jesus says, care so little about your reputation that you are willing to go through whatever is necessary for my glory. If I have to suffer, I know that my suffering is for the glory of God. If I have to go through an embarrassment, God can turn my shameful moment and use it for my good. And whatever I have to go through, I am willing because better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Let me go through what I need to go through as long as I have Jesus. Because if I suffer with him, I shall reign with him. And what Jesus is saying is that if it comes between Philip and Jesus, I have to say no to Philip and say yes to God. And the question becomes, freedom, are you willing to do that? Because the more passionately I love Jesus, the more willing I put him first in spite of my reputation. I need, to, I need to say this. I'm, I'm being very pastoral today, so I'm not coming as your, your pep talk. I'm coming as your pastor today. Hear me. I'm noticing that we are allowing our reputation to be greater than our dedication. Stay with me. So if I go through a public breakup, then it gives me wiggle room to run from God, the church, my commitments, because my reputation is on the line. Well, since you're here, I might as well say what I got to say. If I go through losing a job, then it makes me shrink back, run with my head down, and disconnect my dedication to God. But when your reputation is not in yourself, but it's in Jesus, my praise does not stop because I might look bad to others. God help me. See, I, you know, it's real easy to come in here when you're, all your bills paid and you got your boo on your arm and you're driving a nice car and everything is wonderful in your life. The praise is easy then, but can you give God praise when the church people know you just lost your job and know you just went through a divorce and know that people are talking about you and know that your business is out there? Can you give God glory when your reputation is on the line? Because what I'm noticing is that the saints 
are so worried about reputation that they let that lead before they own dedication to God. And here's what I've discovered. Your job don't care you going through a breakup. You got to show up Monday. So why is it when it comes to the church, all of a sudden that becomes an option? You ain't got to like me. I'm going home. I'm fine. I got a dog named Sadie. She loves everything I do. When your reputation is it not in yourself, but it's on Jesus, let the people talk. And while they talking, you got a God that will make every enemy your footstool. While they dogging you, you got a God that got your back in the midst of it. In fact, I've learned a long time ago, let the people say what they got to say. You know why? Because ain't number free advertisement, honey. I ain't got to say nothing. But you are, oh, I heard about you. God bless you. Uh-huh, they talked about me real good. Ah, uh, but while you're looking at me, I serve a God that made me bounce back from every failure, from every hurt. I need some people in here that know you serve a God that allowed you to bounce back from the depths of your heart that when you were going through hell, you bounce back. Give your neighbor a high five and say, I got a bounce back anointing. And while they talking, I'm getting higher. And while they dogging, God making me better. Is there anybody in here that can give God glory? Because you serve a God that allowed you to bounce back from divorce. Stop allowing what you go through, your reputation that's out there. Because this is a generation that, you know, they put everything out there now. You make one mistake, they got you on a blog and a vlog and all this foolishness. You know, y'all watch it. You got people out there who are saying all kind of things about the people in the house of God, dogging them. But I've discovered that God will shut the mouth of every liar that's why you know what you need to get to the place you better not put your mouth on me you better not put your mouth on me you better not put your mouth is there anybody here that know that God will make your enemies eat every word that they have spoken over your life you better not put your mouth on me in fact I decree and declare over these people that anybody that lifts their mouth against you God says no weapon that's formed against you shall be able to prosper they are going to have to eat their words in fact he going to send some of your enemies back to bless you for everything they said against you. I need somebody in here to give God glory. Jesus must be come before personal relationships. Jesus must come before personal reputation. And number three, and I'm done. Jesus must come before personal realization. Jesus must come before personal realization. He comes before your relationships. He comes before your reputation. He comes before your personal realization. Jesus says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, when we look at the cross today, um, we look at it in the sense of jewelry. But at that time, it was not something you would wear around your neck. Um, I'll never forget when I was a, a little boy, my grandfather, um, somebody had bought him a nice, expensive um, cross. And when you, when you were a bishop, you wear the cross and the chain comes across, and the cross is in that pocket because it's close to your heart. And in fact, you don't even see it. All you see is a little chain coming across there. And they bought him a very expensive cross. And my grandfather looked at me and said, take it back. I said, what do you want to get me? Um, and I said, granddaddy, why don't you want this cross? I mean, it's nice. It's, it's, real, uh, it's real gold. It's big. It's beautiful. Why you don't want this? He said, look at it. I looked at the cross, and it was a cross, and Jesus was stretched out on it. And I said, why you, why you don't want the cross? He said, look at it. I looked at it. I said, well, granddaddy, what's wrong with the cross? He said, he ain't there no more. He paid the price. He ain't on the cross no more. So why would I wear something? That means he did an incomplete job. But when he rose on the third day with all power in his hand, he said, it is finished. Okay, so watch this. So the cross, as we see it, is not how they see it. At this time, when he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot make my disciple, because the cross at that time was a mark of shame. It was a, it was a mark of shame. But look what John 10, verse number 18, last scripture, and I'm done. John 10, verse number 18. 
2 and verse number 18. Gospel according to John, verse number, um, chapter 10, verse number 18. say amen. John 10, verse number 18, no one takes it from me. He's talking about his life. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Ladies and gentlemen, I teach this. I taught this a couple of weeks ago, but I need you to understand this. The cross is, is something that we willingly take up. Your, your in-laws might not be your cross. Your boss might not be your cross. Your cross is what you have to suffer for Christ's sake. It is something, watch this, that you have to take up yourself. So I have to take up this lust, and I got to deal with it. I got to take up this anger, and I got to deal with it. I have to, I have to make sure, watch this, that it's not something that is laid upon me. I have to pick it up myself. Watch this. So what does it mean to take up your cross and be crucified? This is not me. Um, this is the theologian Tozer said this, and this thing blessed me. I sent this to a couple of people. I was shouting. They, I don't think they shouted, but I shouted when I, when I texted it because it blessed me. What does it mean to take up your cross and be crucified with Christ? Three things. Well, number one, a man who is crucified is facing only one way. Number two, a man who is crucified is not going back. And number three, a man who is crucified has no further plans of his own. That thing knocked me out this week. Watch this. A man who is crucified is only facing one way. All right, I didn't use Abram for the last season. I'm in the next season. Come here, Annie. A man who is crucified <laughs> is only facing one way. All right. You on the cross. Stretch out your arms. Praise the Lord. All right. A man who is crucified is only facing one way. Ain't no looking back. Let me help you. When you've been crucified with Christ, it means that what he brought you out of, you ain't looking back at it. The reason why we keep falling is because we're looking back at stuff that God already brought us from. Watch this. Let me just deal with this and I'm done. The problem is when we look back, we fantasize about how it used to be. So it makes us want to come down off our cross and go back to it. Touch your neighbor and say, don't you go back. Don't you go back. Don't you go back. There's some stuff the Lord brought me out of, I don't ever want to go back to it. And even if the memory is sweet, and even if it tickles my fancy for the moment, is there anybody in here that say, if I'm being crucified with Christ, I ain't going back to it. Not now, not never. Number one is what? Number two, a man who is crucified is not going back. You up there now. What you going back to it for? Why are you going back to the depression? I'm talking right here. Why are you going back to the friendship, texting them when God delivered you from them? The reason they ain't text you in a long time is because God had to shut it down to disconnect. So where he was taking you, you ain't taking the stragglers with you. I need to take a pause for the calls. Can you bless God for the people that don't call you no more and the people that don't text you no more and the people that don't hit you up no more? Because sometimes, watch this, I want to go back because I'm seduced by the memory of it. Come on, read my point back to me. Number one is what? Number two. And number three, a man who is crucified has no further plans of his own. Saints, stop making up your plans and tell me, here it is, God. And say, watch this, and then you want God to bless your plans. God say, I'm not going to bless your plans. My plan is blessed. Why don't you come to me and say, God, what is the plan? What do you want me to do? And if, watch this, watch this, watch this. And if he don't answer, I don't get impatient and try to make something up. Yeah. Stay.
stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You ain't got your own plan. I told y'all one time in this ministry, in this season of, of church, I was out of here. I was gone. I'm going to start my life over. I'm moving. I ain't got to put up with this. Helping people and loving on people. And they just nasty and rude and just, just don't even care. I'm a good pastor. <laughs> you know, you always have revisionist history when it comes to yourself, right? I'm a good pastor. I takes care of the sheep. I goes by the hospital. I go see him. I call him. How you doing? What's going on? Praying for you. Praying for your mama. I'm a good pastor. You don't treat me that kind of way. I'm out of here. Let me get from somebody else. So here's what you do. Watch this. Watch this. You ready? When you try to make your own plans, here's what we do. We always try to connect with people that will agree with us. So I knew who to call <laughs> to tell me what I wanted to hear. So I called another disgruntled pastor. And I said, do you know what's happening to me? He said, I know it's happening to me too. I said, well, I'm done with this. He said, well, you just, you know, no, 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 no. He didn't say me too. Mm-mm, mm-mm. They will never do what you do, what they suggest. They just throw it out there for you to take it, but they ain't going to do it themselves. You need to leave. You need to leave. I said, you're right. So the Bible says out of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So I don't just call one person. I call somebody else. Because out of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So I needed your arms tied, I know, right? <laughs> out of two or three witnesses. You could be seated. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. You could be seated. You could be seated. And he's my trainer, so I had to pay him back one way or the other. <laughs> anyway, watch this. And so I called somebody else. And I said, um, you know, this is what's going on, and, and I'm leaving. I'm done with it. I talked to Pastor so-and-so, and they agreed. And that pastor said, you call that fool? <laughs> this is what he says to me. You ready for this? Brianna, he says, he let me give the whole thing out. I mean the whole thing. I laid it on thick. He says, I only got one question. My question is, well, is God lying now or did he lie then? I said, what you mean by that? He said, well, is he lying to you now about you leaving or did he lie to you then when he told you to start the church? My question for you is, is God lying to you now, or did he lie to you then? Or is it you just trying to wiggle out of what he already told you? Because somebody lying. I said, let me call you back. You ever had a conversation with people, you get so convicted, you're just like, I got another call coming through. Let me, let me call you back. I didn't call for all this. But when you realize that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, you have to surrender your own plans and what you think in your own mind and lift your hands and tell God, yes, Lord, whatever it is, if I have to struggle through it, if I have to strain through it, I'm going to say yes to you even when I don't feel like it, even when it don't look good. My answer is yes, I'm done. I need somebody here to lift your hands and tell the Lord yes to him. talking about being a fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. He wants everything. He don't want a piece. He don't want a part. He don't want a little section you give him. He wants it all. And that is what God is calling for on today. Everybody's standing. Did this word bless anybody on today?
bowed your eye closed. I want you right where you are to lift up your hands before the Lord. Not a whole lot of fanfare. It's a decision. I want you in, your, in this moment to surrender all of you to him. All of you. Not part of you, not piece of you. All of you. Your plans, your disappointments, your highs, your lows. Surrender all of it to him. It's a decision you got to make. That for the rest of my days, for the rest of my life, it's going to be a yes to you. And when I'm hurt, and when I'm broken, I don't run from you. I stay right in your presence. When it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out, I don't draw back. In fact, like a deer, I run after you on hinds feet. I chase after you, God, with everything inside of me. Take a moment and commit yourself to him completely and totally. I commit my relationships to you. I commit my plans, my job, my finances. I commit my mind, my emotions, my will. I commit it all to you, God. I'm fully committed, fully committed, fully committed. Not piece of me, not part of me, all of me. I give you my attitude. I give you my way of thinking. I give you my past. I give you the stuff I'm not over yet. I give you the stuff I'm still holding on to. Come on. I need you to submit all of it to him. I give it all. I give you my wife. I give you my husband. I give you my children. I give you my family. I give you my job. I give it all to you, God. I am fully committed. And even if it gets hard, and even if it gets difficult, I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to stand flat-footed and believe that you are still God. Now with those hands lifted up, just seal this with worship. Just seal it with worship. See yourself in the future and seal it with worship. See, see what God is getting ready to do in your life and seal it with worship. And we thank you. And we bless you. And we honor you. We tell you yes, God. We tell you yes. We are fully committed to you. In Jesus' great name we pray. And everybody say amen. Clap those hands and give the Lord some praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Last time, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus for yourself, if you're unsure of your salvation, if you never confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior.